0: It wasn't a back off of the result. There was just a relaxed curiosity that occurred as soon as I just shifted myself, which is like, oh, no, this isn't a problem. Right, the fact that everybody's telling me that this is the start of peak season in LA, this is not a problem. This is the territory and it is ultimately going to be the opportunity. I can relax on resisting it, but continue to drive. I can continue to be committed to the results. And in fact, I'm noticing more opportunity, more resources once I made that shift. Hello my friends, my name is Chad and this is the Naked Leadership Podcast, High Stakes Conversations for Relentless Company Founders. My co-host and I have over six decades of combined experience in leadership coaching and this podcast is where we explore it all. There's no conversation too risky. This week, we're mixing things up. You know, we asked for feedback on the podcast and some really generous souls gave us some feedback to let us know that the episodes that are most appreciated on the podcasts are the ones where we dig into our personal lives, things that are happening currently for us, meaning me, Dan, and Adrian, talking about experiences that we're having with our clients and also giving our take, interpretation, or opinion on things that are going on in the world currently. So what we're doing is we're shifting the format of the podcast. Instead of coming to it with one topic in mind, each one of us are coming to the conversation with our own topic, putting it out for the group, and we discuss. So each conversation, each podcast episode will have three separate conversations, not separate conversations, but you get it, three distinct conversations about the topic that each one of us brings to it. It was fun to start doing it this way. I was really excited to see and hear what Dan and Adrian brought to the table. I was excited to bring my own topic and, of course, get their perspective on things that are going to help me. It's a little bit selfish format, but it was such a great experience. I can't wait for you to listen. In this episode, Dan talks about community and relays a story about something sketchy that happened in his own community and how they came together. And Adrian shares about some light heartedness and uh, some experiences with his kids that I can't wait. Uh, there's a lot of nostalgia in his conversation and uh, I can't wait for you to hear that one. And then finally, I talk about the experience between push and pull and when we're pushing things and trying to make things fit where they don't. I hope you enjoy this new format, this conversation, and uh, that you learn some from it, that you get some giggles from it that draws us closer through this experience. So here we go. Gentlemen, gentlemen, what is up? Dan, Adrian, it's good to be with you. What's up? Hey, hey, hey. Good to be here. Hey, Adrian. I noticed your last name. You you spelt it phonically. Yeah, because you idiots always fuck it up. It's spelled promise. Kohler, pronounced Kaler. Oh, I offended him. A, he dropped off. To... Well,
1: yeah, take that. Take that. He's out of here. Take that. Yes, I. I. You know, I. Uh, you. You guys always fuck it up. That's so I got to start spelling it out. That's because you pronounce it wrong. Thank you. I know. I'm not real German. I'm not real German. I'm partially... I'm German at times. Isha, yeah, Isha so, did
2: ask, how come he says Kayla when it's Kula?
1: Koehler. I know. <laughs> I know. Because I'm not... Because I left the motherland a long time ago, Isha.
2: Before you were born. That's right. He left there before you were born.
0: Well, so for those of you that can't see, he spelt it K-A-Y-L-E-R. Yeah. Kahler. Koehler. It's the real Midwestern way of saying Koehler. Yeah. Yeah, I, yeah, when I'm on a podcast or something, I'll say it's it's Adrian
1: Kaler like James Taylor. And they're like, Oh I was going they always say I was gonna ask, but they never ask. So I, I don't I know always why they get say
2: Tacini and then in the end they go, Oh, I realize I said, don't worry, it's been butchered for years, many broken novels. Nuzers over that
1: name. Yeah. Chad Brown's always getting messed up too.
0: Always. Always. It's a it's a mess. For me to keep that name straight, that's the it's a disaster. Well, I'm excited to be with you. Um you know, we have been in a conversation uh about this podcast. We've included the audience in this conversation we've been having about this podcast for a little while now. And you know, what we've done up until now, I think what we've we've if you include the cliff notes and some of the other episodes that we've done, I think we're well above 130 episodes on this podcast and um we've been in a conversation internally and also on this podcast about how do we freshen it up? How do we make it something that people want to, that it's continued to continually to be useful for people that they are excited to tune in, uh, looking forward to the next episode and that it's helpful. And, um, so we've been experimenting with different ideas and we've come to one that definitely feels like an experiment. There's a, there's a little bit of a, um, there's a little bit of a excitement in my belly around changing this format, um, but basically what we've what we've decided to do is come to these conversations in a much looser manner, rather than having a specific topic that we're all addressing. Uh, come each one of us coming to these conversations with something that we want to talk about. Maybe it's something that each of, that that we want to have feedback from the other two on, or something that, a, a topic or a principle that we've been. Contemplating or journaling on, or maybe it's an experience that we've had with a client or a family member or ourselves. You know, with the feedback from you, the listener, around the, the episodes where we talk about what's going on for us currently, like uh, the one recently where you guys were so gracious to dedicate an entire conversation, an episode to me processing the passing of my father that I got a lot of really great feed when I say great feedback that got a lot of affirming feedback that this, that it was valuable to people we also did one about a year and a half ago where we discussed a conflict that we were having on our team that one overall has been uh, or conflict with each other that one overall has been a very uh, affirming has, has brought in a lot of affirming feedback so my thought was, well, why don't we do more of that? Why don't we actually talk about what's going on for us, our clients, what's current? What are we what are we thinking about? This can be anything from current events, what's in the news, um, to what's what's going on in, in, in behind the doors of our own home. So I'm excited about this, and uh, I'm going to use it as an opportunity, as a tool to have your brains on things that I'm thinking about which I, I mean, that's, let's face it. I've, I've set the topics up until now. So that's, it's all been my,
2: uh, <laughs> that's been my scheme. in have been anyway. running the show from the beginning.
0: That's right. I, I get to selfishly bring up the topics that I'm going to get the most out of. And we're um, grateful for it. Anyway, that's for sure. I'm so excited for this. I, I would, I hear from you guys, what are you thinking about with this new format? What, it, what comes up for you? What are you excited about? What do you hope it, hope it becomes? Yeah. Well, I know for me, uh, it's a
1: great, in some ways it's a great paradox, like shifting into this more like, what are we thinking about? What are we going through? Um, what are we experiencing? It's both exciting. Sorry. A flash just came into my mind back, back probably 15 years ago. I used to, I was a pastor for those that don't know that. So I worked at a church here in Los Angeles and from time to time I'd speak like on stage in front of 500 600 people. And that was, you know, just like everybody, a frightening experience to be that exposed, to be out there, there's nobody to save you, lights are on you, all that thing. So that was a boy well, was a paradox because it was frightening and it was definite honor to get to. Um but at the same point what I loved about it was it it provoked like me knowing Sunday was coming, it provoked me living during the week in a very distinct way. Like I was desperate for something current, something real, something meaningful. Like I was just looking at my day, looking at my life, looking at my thoughts, looking at my yearnings and my questions and my doubts and all that in a fresh way because I was dying for content really. And, and in our church, we weren't just teaching silly principles. We we're like sharing from our own life and trying to make it relevant in that way. So I, in some ways, this will be something like that. You know, if I know that as we record these podcasts, it's like we're going to, you know, either I'm going to bring up a stupid idea or I'm going to bring up something that's like really connected and I'm, it's meaningful to me. Um, so I'm excited about it. It's also more vulnerable in that way, you know, like sharing, like really sharing from yourself. And, um, so I'm, I'm excited about it. And I, I, you know, I get that feedback when we were discussing it, I was sharing with you guys, like I get this and Chad, you were saying, you get that too. I'm sure you do as well. Chad, Dan, D- 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 Chad and Tearing Dan works. together are, are I've, been yeah. I've been yeah.
0: <laughs> that's our couple
1: names yeah your couple name chan there's 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 chan over there um, it, Chad, chan. And, 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 yeah there's chan it won't work the other way because it'd just be dad <laughs> um that in the nature of our the relationship we have professionally with people like they do most of the talking and there's typically this kind of desire to get to know more of my own story get to know more of my own struggles my own victories Anytime, you know, as I've done this over the last 12 years or so, I share more and more. Um, it used to be that a fear that people would use that as an, uh, as like a, um, a diversionary tactic or start to ask me questions. I mean, early in my coaching, they, they would ask me a question. I'm like, well, what does that matter? Let's get back to it. Here we go. We're doing this. You know, why do you care about how my weekend was? They're like, oh, I'm just be- oh, you're just being polite. Okay, fine. But now I tell real stories and people tend to enjoy that. Just get to know me, you know the man behind the curtain. So anyway, I'm I'm excited too, and I think for those listening, would always love to hear your thoughts and your questions and interests, um, even from our own lives. I know you if, if you if you've been around either Chan or around the Chans over here, if you've been around these guys, um, they're very fascinating guys. So ask you ask your questions and put be, put us on the hot seat too. That'd be fun. If You have questions for any of us? Love to answer some of those. So anyway, I'm excited about it. Thanks for bringing it up.
0: Yeah. Anything to add, Dan?
2: No, I'm ditto. I there's a lot I draw from in my personal life that I bring to the work, so it's it's a it's an opportunity to kind of share and open up and get perspective from you two and from the listeners, which would be very helpful. Always is. That's what I love about training because it's a two way conversation, and I'm usually at, as at stake as the as the participant I'm working with our client. And if I'm really young, doing my job. So I like this.
0: It's great. Well, let's kick it off then. Enough of this chit chat. Adrian, you're going to kick us off for this episode. Before I, that, what I we am. What do you want to talk
1: about? I am. I've got a myriad of options in my mind. The, the what I wanted to start with, though, it, it's like super lighthearted and a place that I've just experienced so much joy over the last, I don't know, three weeks. So, you know, we, like me and my kids moved into a new place last summer. Um, and uh, I didn't move in with a TV, um, and mostly because I didn't have a TV. I left the TV behind in the old place, and, and you know, you can go buy some stuff, whatever. Uh, she could easily go do that. Yet, I didn't have one, and I realized, this is freaking awesome. It's great not to have a TV, um, because it just generated all this open space where the assumption was, we're going to do something together. We're not going to like sit and look at something together. We're going to look at, you know, a theme over the last few months with my kids is faces, not screens, faces, not screens of where we're going to give our attention to. And so we've been playing so many more games and I love games anyway. And, uh, it's great to like you know, anyway, learning exercises. And even I was just playing chess with my daughter last night and she used to be such a I was going to say such an idiot. I don't mean that. I, I mean, like, she just wasn't ever paying attention. If you guys know my daughter, Charlie, she is uh, very uh, contrarian, let's just say, with her approach to the world. She will find a button and push it just for fun. Um, and she's the best negotiator in the family. But last night we were sitting down playing chess and um, she actually knows, I mean, she still tried to cheat. She still tried to tell me the rules and how it works. And I'm like, Babe, I've been playing this for a long time. So you can keep trying to make up the rules, but that's not the rule. We can play your way if you want. It's just not real. So whatever you want to do, but this is the way. You know, you can't jump over all the pieces, and you know, the knight doesn't go two and one most of the time, and then whenever you want, it goes one and one. We can play that way if you want, but that's not the way chess works. She calls it chess, by the way, which I think is fucking awesome. <laughs> let's play some. Let's play some chess. I'm like, okay. Um <laughs> so anyway, so I haven't had a TV, and it's been really great. And we've played so many much, much cards, and all this and all that. Then I I am a sucker for a great Instagram ad. Um, I'm sure Instagram's listening right now, and they'll be sending me more even as we the algorithm is twisting um, itself to meet my needs. But I bought a projector um, be- because we get a big open wall, and so we can have these special like movie nights. Um, which the kids love, of course. And they have gone along with me. I've been saying, hey, let's watch some movies from my youth. So we've been rocking and rolling. And so we started with uh, Rocky, Rocky 1, and then worked all the way through all eight Rockies, including the last three, which are Creed's, and just knocked them out and loved them. And, you know, my favorite thing Charlie says all the time now is, you're a bomb. You know, just like you don't old wanna just, I want oh, <laughs> oh, to know. I want to
2: know. You don't want to know. I want to
1: know. It's she's so awesome. Um, and we just now started the Karate Kid series. We're deciding we're in this moment of time. Are we going to watch the next Karate Kid, which is with, uh, what was her name?
0: That one?
2: The are mil- talking m- about Million
0: Dollar Baby Girl? Oh, all- the actor. I don't know. Yeah, that I only one. know the one with Will Smith's kid, Willow Smith. Oh, uh, we or, had, no no no, Willow's his daughter, but uh, yeah, Jaden, Jaden, yeah,
1: yeah. Jayden. yeah. Smith, yeah, yeah. But we decided not. To, we just did *Brock Karate Kid* one, two, and three. Um, yeah, which three is weird, and that you know, they, I mean, two is the best in my opinion. Um, <laughs> and we just, and then we then we just started watching *Goonies*, and I love it. You know, it's fun just to sit there and watch, like all like listening to my kids laugh, like when when Chunk does the truffle shuffle and my son just dies laughing. And I just, I remember like loving, I mean, I know Goonies like every line from that movie and, and then you can gauge where their little brains are, what jokes they get, what jokes they don't get. Um, Mm -hmm. you know, Charlie can be scared of some movies, but she's not scared so far of the, uh, when, 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 when sloth came out and was like groaning in the beginning, you know, down in the basement, you know, um, when we first got to see sloth and she's like closing her eyes and, and shutting her ears, like walking into the other room, like that's too scary for me. You know, and I just said, he's He's a good guy. He's going to be friends with chunk at the end. Just, just keep watching. So that's just one of the, as you were, as you were thinking about like, what's going on in my own life, like that sharing of my own memories and my own experiences and kind of reliving them again with my kids, that's been like such a joy. I'm sure you guys have done that a lot with your kids. Just as a dad, like just dig it, dig it. I know yeah, that it's they're, a blast. They're, yeah. They're getting to know me at the same time and I'm getting to know them. And this, this, the Goonies, for example, is just kind of the external object by which we get to see each other and relate to each other and share things. And now we have like inside jokes, um, all the time. Scott will say to me all the time, hit the one in the middle, you know, from Rocky, <laughs> you know, it's like, I see, I see, I see three. He's like, yeah, hit the one in the
0: middle. Which I think is another famous what Mick line. One of my favorite one of my favorite lines when I'm with my family or when I'm just, you know, with friends or whatever, and I do something stupid and nobody I don't get the reaction that I that I want. One of my lines is, Are you not entertained? And finally we watch Finally my kids are old enough to watch that movie, Gladiator. And, and well, Milo's not, but the, the girls are old enough and we watched that together and now they get that joke Yeah, they get that line, Yeah, right? And it makes contextual sense to them. Yeah. And just sharing that experience, like the first time I saw that movie, my life changed. Yeah. Like it moved me. Yes. In his commitment, in his, you know, of what he saw as possible with his nothing to lose, but also everything to gain. And yeah, I'm right there with you, man. Some of these things are unlocking new conversations that uh, are really meaningful.
2: Last in the Mohicans did that for me with my son as well. You know, I will find you, right? And he jumps into that waterfall. I was like, that's that's how I felt about my mom. That's how I felt about my wife. I was, I will find you. I'm going to go through whatever it takes. The scene of them running up that mountain and trying to get back to them is killer, literally.
1: Yeah. Yeah. My my kids, there's lots of things I say that are from old movies that nobody seems to know um, what I'm saying but with my children all the time, even just from the gladiator. When he when they first when they first like there was like six gladiators in the ring and they let out all of these enemies. I think some lions are on chains as well. And just he turns to he turns to his crew of, of you know, gladiators and he says, stay together I always say, I say that to my kids, like anytime we're somewhere, like anywhere, like at the mall, like, you know, walking down the street, stay together, you know, and it's like, I don't know. I'm always doing yeah. this. At some point, hopefully we'll watch They'll be like, Dad, you've been saying that. Yes, I've been saying that forever. Yes.
0: Yeah. This is true. It's really a moment of vindication, right? Because up until then, my kids just thought I was a crazy lunatic. Yeah. And now they're like, oh, I know why that line stuck with you. Yeah. It makes me think it makes me think about culture setting and what's what are the like, what are the to- the tools that we use to relate and set culture? Because that's ultimately what we're doing as a family. Like, how do I share these moments that have been so transformational to me? How do I integrate them into a culture? in a way that they can be a touch point or a flagship, something we can plant and say, maybe it's a, a line or a, a verbal, a, a visual cue or something. It's interesting that those things can become marks for the culture.
1: And I find, especially when it, comes to, when it comes to humor, you know, if you've got like some kind of like word or joke that's like, it might not even be funny anymore, but it represents humor. Um, and it's just like an intense moment, like something you might say that just kind of releases the moment and reminds us that like, you know, all the, all the, you know, high emotions that are running now, let's just chill out for a second. So good. So good. And I'm sure a lot of these movies, as I keep walking through them, we'll see how much, how long they entertain me and uh, my choice of movies. But I've got so many, I can't wait to watch. I got, again. I got two for you. If you're not. Tell seen- me, tell me.
2: Cinema Paradiso, which is I love it because it reminds me of my childhood. It's about a kid who grew up in a projection booth, That's which cool. is where I grew up. I grew up in a projection booth, and during World War II, and it's just and how much the the village came together around the cinema. And the other one is the Life and Times of Judge Roy Bean by Sam Houston, and uh, Paul Newman. Uh, it was Victoria Principal's first movie. Uh, hilarious. It's just a huge stat, uh, cast, but it, there's a line in there that I use, and my friend and I, its kind of, we've we watched it a million times in college, but it's the line where the he's Judge Roy Bean, who's an ex-criminal, who decides to become the law west of the Pecos, and then become, basically hires a bunch of Burke thieves to become his sheriffs, and then they basically rob the other thieves of what they've done. <laughs> and uh, and this, so this lawyer comes along and moves into the town, and his name is Gass. And Mr. Gass gets the law book out and going through it because he's trying to show Judge Roy Bean he's wrong. And he goes, boy, that book ain't no salt lick. You know, and that's one of my favorite lines. So when anybody, anybody gets too dogmatic, it's, son, that book ain't no salt lick. So stuff like that, stupid.
0: Life is not fair. It's what you negotiate. Let me say that one more time. Life is not fair. It's what you negotiate. Now that's an interesting thought. If that's true, it means that everything you have in life right now, the possessions, the relationships, the fitness, the mindset, are all a product of your negotiations with others and yourself. And if that's true, wouldn't you want to be very clear on how you negotiate, what's effective and what's ineffective, what your strengths are and what your blind spots are. It is after all, producing all the results in your life. So here's the deal. We put together a 15 question quiz that you can take in five minutes or less and find out exactly what your negotiation style is. The results of this quiz will give you insight into your strengths and blind spots in negotiation It will also give you insight in how you can accentuate those strengths or compensate for the blind spots. Think for just one second with me, all of the conversations you're having in your life. Think about compensation or advancement conversations with people on your team, discussing financial decisions with a partner, or just getting your kids to get their damn shoes on so that you can leave the house. All of these conversations are negotiations this simple yet powerful tool has the potential to reinvent the way you get what you want in every aspect of life go to negotiation.takenewground.com right now or click the link in the description of this episode and find out what negotiation style you embody you can thank us later now back to the show it's incredible how our life gets formed and shaped by these movies these stories oh yeah. yeah
1: Oh yeah, well I'm I'm sure, like I'm pretty sure. Like my my love for Jimi Hendrix came from Wayne's World. You know that scene where it's like Fight, play 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 Foxy Lady because that the the blonde walks in and, and Garth goes crazy. I'm guessing I I don't know I don't know this for sure, but I've always been a huge Hendrix fan uh, since I can remember like loving music. And I'm guessing I was watching that movie and asking my dad what's that song, and anyway found out that Foxy Lady's like not his best song there's like so many better songs there's Foxy so many Lady. so <laughs> many but even like my son has a Jimi hendrix poster on his wall why because i introduced him to Jimi hendrix and like real music early and you know why because of wayne's world so thanks what? thanks garth thanks wayne party real, time real music real music real music yeah
0: <laughs> well i'm ready to dive into what i brought you do it man are, are we ready yeah let's do it make that transition yeah um, all right, cool. So I've been thinking about the idea of push and pull. And this has come up for me because I'm I'm coordinating the, the, the Revenant team for LA coming up. And part of the duties, just so people who are listening who don't understand what that means, is we have a volunteer team that uh, aids each Revenant training. So we have the participants, we have the trainers, but also have the team of people who have graduated the Revenant it's an opportunity to come back in and serve in the space that created so much transformation for you when you were participating in the room. And it's such an honor for me to be able to coordinate that team and and set that. One of the duties of that is to find the venue, the space that we're gonna that we're gonna train in and lock all of that down, negotiate the contract and and get it in place. And this has been uh, I I grossly underestimated the challenge that this would be for me um for a few reasons um but I'm I'm you know for the first when I got real serious about this about two or three weeks ago real serious about locking it down finding the place for a good little while I would say a couple of weeks it felt like a real push like this like I'm just, knocking out knocking down doors, nothing's working out, nothing seems to be giving. Each each venue that we look at has just one little thing that isn't gonna work for what we need. And it just felt like pushing and pushing and pushing and pushing and pushing. And um it was just yesterday, maybe it was the day before yesterday, doesn't matter. I was pushing and I was getting all kind of worked up about it. And then a voice, just a, just a thought from myself just said, look, man, you don't got to push. This will come together. Pull. And at the moment, it, like, it surprised me. That thought surprised me because that's not really a thought that I've, that's not like a historical thought for me. It was just like, you know, this will, you don't have to force this thing. And I've got all the stories about like, well, this got to be set because if it's not set, then we don't know where our location is. Blah 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 blah. we know then, and, and it's kind of like dominoes. This is the one of the first ones we got to knock down in order to knock down all these other ones. And and that's a real like story for me that I run. And I also in that conversation with myself, I got fearful about, well, does that mean that you relax and don't create results? right? And so this is the tension that I wanted to talk with you guys about is like this tension between pushing and pulling. Pushing looks like a lot of effort, pushing a stone up the hill and watching it roll back down. That's what it feels like when I'm in pushing mode, when I'm trying to like force the piece, the circle piece to fit into the square hole. When there's a square piece sitting over there, if I would just like relax and recognize that that's the square that goes into the square hole you know and how does that how do you keep the drive and tension alive in order to create the results that you want right because ultimately i'm committing i'm committed to figuring this out and getting it set real soon and making as little compromises as possible in what we're looking for um so anyway, it's new to me. It's it's new this in in this context. This like letting it happen but driving it is is new. And I'm wondering for you guys, how does this show up for you? How how uh, how do you keep the commitment to the result, but also know that it'll it'll happen the way that it's that it'll happen? Dan, this is. In the context of training, actually, in the Revenant, you talk about this a lot. Like, if you try to force it to happen, it won't, and it's a lot of energy, and it's a lot of you'll you'll fuck up the room. Basically, I say
2: it, you find what wants to happen, and it will lead you to the promised land. But it, it, most of the time, what wants to happen doesn't look like how you think it should look. I think, like. The starting point is wherever it is, whatever. So I walk into a room and people are where they're at. And if I can't be with where they're at, I'll never get to where I'm committed to being with them as a as a person. And so for me, that's, and I think about that as my family too, is, you know, where are my kids? Well, I'll just start where they're at. You know, where are my grandkids? I'll just start where they're, where they're at. And when they see that you're where they're at, they relate and and if where they're at okay, like you're okay with them being where they're at, wherever that is, then you can get to almost anywhere you want to go. And they're actually very open to, they want to know what I think. They want to know how I can contribute. They they seek it out. And But the key is first meeting them where they're at, and that takes, they got to get off your judgments, you got to get off where you think they should be. You got to get off where you want them to be. You got to get off of where the culture wants them to be or where somebody you respect thinks they should be, blah, 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 like that. And I think that's also true, you know, when you're running a room or, you know, you're training a room or you're putting a team together. I, you know, I was thinking about that today. I have a guy I would love to see come here and be with us on this team. He's a very qualified, really culturally fit with us. And I just listened to where he was and it naturally fitted. And so we, all of a sudden, he's interested. And he's a major player in another large consulting firm, but very interested in what we're doing because he's been listening to this. Uh, and, you know, I'm anxious. I'm looking forward to that. But that I think it starts with where somebody is and meeting them there or where something is and meeting whatever's going on there. And then from there, plotting your know, the future you're committed to because that's where the resource is. It's in here and now.
1: Yeah, I think about it. Um, At least the the thoughts that come to mind with it are: I'll say it. Sometimes I'll say this phrase to my clients: "Like you know, if there's there's no next until there's a now," which is kind of a cheesy way of talking about it. But usually, what's necessary to have any kind of sense of generating something new, if we're not where we are, and if we haven't adopted, appreciated the current reality then even any notions of the future are just fantasy anyway. Um, so, but I'll say to them, sometimes I'll say current reality is where we must start. It's not, I mean, sometimes it's not the end of the story, but it's, it's where the story must begin. Like, where are you right now? And even in this context with this is like, yes, we've got a lot of specific wants and needs to make this room work. Um, and we could resist those. Uh, Or we could, okay, this is what's happening. This is a, it's a tough find for what we're looking for, especially as we're talking about it, Chad, like what are the new opportunities we could add some nuances to it and keep the fundamentals straight and clear um, while we're doing a million other things. So as also, it doesn't have to be a certain way. I mean, what a faithless thought that like, if the circumstances are just perfect, then the future will look a certain way. That's a pretty... Faithless way of living, I would say. It's like, no, whatever ends up happening is going to be just right. Um, why? Because we're going to be dancing with what's happening and very committed to what, you know, the future we want. So that's what I think about is like, if I'm resisting current reality, um, then I'll never get the future I want to get it to your point, Dan. But if I'll adopt current reality as the only real starting point, then I've got a shot.
2: Yeah, that, that's why I say, a lot of times you'll just say, "Perfect, this is it, and I'm satisfied." You know, I use it on the golf course a lot.
0: This is exactly where we're
2: supposed to be. I'm so glad we're here. I'm satisfied with this, and now I can move from here to what's next.
0: Yeah, and that's what I noticed. That's that's what was such a fun experience for me is noticing in this shift for me was it didn't I it it wasn't there was a. It wasn't a back off of the result. There was just a relaxed curiosity that occurred as soon as I just shifted myself, which is like, oh, no, this isn't a problem, right? The fact that everybody's telling me that this is the start of peak season in L.A., this is not a problem. This is the territory, and it is ultimately going to be the opportunity. I can relax on resisting it but continue to drive i can continue to be committed to the results and in fact i'm going to i'm am noticing more opportunity more resources once i made that shift
2: yeah you know the the if you think about it anxiety is anticipating the future you don't want why not anticipate the future you are committed to and more like you can anticipate either one and they will shift the moment, right? The future you, like if I believe the future is coming, as you just described, it wants to happen. I'm just here to facilitate what that looks like rather than predict what it's supposed to look like. And uh, that I become, uh, you know, I'm part of the, mo- I'm part of it, I'm the catalyst, not, not the controller.
1: Right. Yeah. I think there's sometimes there's a lot, a lot of these like hidden worldviews um, that we all participate in that actually make us weak. Because yeah. kind of the underlying of this is like is like there's a there's a certain way things have to go and needs to go I, that way I, and not. then I'll get what I want. but that's that's obviously takes no resilience from me it takes no creativity from me if like the star is perfectly aligned and blah blah blah. but if it's if it's harder and if it's and if it requires me to be nuanced and be creative, that's actually better for me as a human if I can learn to uh, make you know eliminate out of lemons or whatever it's like, oh no no, this is great. This is tough. Oh, this is not comfortable. And I get, you know, that's what I always say when I had a shitty shot in golf. It's like, oh, I love a good comeback story.
2: Yeah. <laughs> this is great. I love, a good,
1: <laughs> I, I love adversity. So Usually guys I'm playing with that I don't know very well will laugh. I'm like, I love adversity. They're like, oh, sorry about that, man. I think it's deep over this. Oh, it's good, man. I love adversity. Now.
2: Come back kid.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Just watch this, man. I get to practice my bunker shots. This is
2: awesome. Well, you can hit that. I've never seen anybody hit the ball like you. It goes a long way. I'm like, wow. Course is a short course. Dan, what are you bringing? Well, um, I was thinking about community. Um, I live up here in Oregon. I moved up here with my daughter and her her husband. Where do you um, live? uh, I'm sorry, Idaho. Oregon. Okay, I'm just, just thinking making sure. Let's start Oregon's with, let's start with,
1: let's, let's start with current reality. That's so right. Look around. Well, Oregon's around.
2: part of this current reality. I just, I'd love to see in-
1: Dan. That's a unique type of prison. Uh, that'd be a funny reality show. Put Dan in Portland and watch what happens. Anyway.
2: Oh, that would be a blast. <laughs> but I, I was thinking I grew, I moved up here three years ago because my, I, my daughter's in-laws were planning to move up here and her brother-in-law moved up here the year before. And so I, I wanted to move up, but I didn't want to leave my family. So now half my family's—you know—my sons in the in the Bay Area, but my daughter's moving up here. Or and she didn't know if she wanted to, and I got excited about the possibility and talked to her, and then she got excited. Well, they move up, and you know, her brother-in-law Ryan is a real community-oriented guy. And in California, he's a big—he's a—he moves dirt. He has a big. Equipment operator, and you know he'd take his equipment out when they had the fires, and he would just volunteer. And you know he has a, a couple of large, you know D five uh, uh, bull, bulldozers and big excavators. He moves just major product projects, and he would he would get involved with fighting the fires and go out and volunteer his time, cut paths, the whole deal. And he moves up to Idaho, and he does the same thing here. He helps his neighbors. He cuts the roads into his property. He goes down and involuntarily will snow plow people's driveways, you know. Just a great guy. And his wife's father moved up here and his and his wife <clears throat> Pat, his father moved up with Linda. We moved up a year after Ryan did and Pat and Linda moved up about the same time. We've been here for three years. And he's very connected to everybody on the hill. He owns between, you know, the Haskins zone, about five hundred acres on this hill, and then we have our 15 or 17 and a half and down the, just down the hill a bit, and then Lizzie has hers. Lizzie and Malcolm have 17 and a half acres. And so we're all we're developing a community up there. And I started watching a video the other day about, uh, it was an interview with Tucker Carlson and Brett Weinstein on uh, the... Darien Gap in, in uh, that's between Panama and, and uh, Colombia. It's the only gap in the Panamanian Highway that goes from Nome, Alaska, all the way down to the tip of South America. And this gap is where all the immigrants are coming up from. You know, they're coming from all these different countries, and they're, they, they go through this gap. And it's a very sad story because many, many people are dying. They're not prepared for the trip. And they're coming through and a lot of cartel the cartel's running this trying encouraging people to come up. And then they 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 get mixed in with them and they come over the border and they, they you know, bring drugs and guns and they you know, they're trafficking, you know, all kinds of stuff, people, etc. It's just it's an ugly scene. Anyway, um they were talking about and this guy, you know, brett weinstein was talking about weinstein was talking about he went to these different refugee camps down in the gap and he commented on two of them were just a mixture of many different nationalities africa south america china and like that and then he went to one that was all chinese and he was concerned about a number of them because he kept seeing young able men and particularly in the chinese camp um that wouldn't talk to him, but were going to America, and they were very aggressive. And uh, And he was wondering, why are they going to America? And uh, so I was talking to my, Ryan, and I said, Ryan, how are you doing? He goes, oh, we got robbed the other day. I know. And I had just seen this documentary or this interview with Brent Weinstein. I go, we got robbed by who? He goes, some guys from the cartel. I go, what do you mean? It was we're in Idaho, for God's sake. He said, "Yeah, they came over from Oregon." I go, "What do you mean they came over from Oregon?" He said, "Well, their, their MO is to look out on Google Earth and look for construction sites." And of course, his house—he's this guy's carved out a quarry because he does road work, right? So he, he'll come down to my road. I have a piece of property with a road in it, and he'll lay—he'll put rock in there that he got out of his quarry for nothing. He's the sweetest guy in the world, man. And he's—you know—he's got big containers and all his equipment up there. Well, these guys saw that. And they thought, well, you know, they're going to go get it. So they they trek in the backside of the property. They take down about a quarter mile of fences along the way, and they drive this car and they 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 spend six and a half seven hours on his property, unbeknownst to him, and rifling through his uh, his containers with all his equipment. And he's very meticulous with his equipment, and they they load up this car and the car gets stuck, and they can't get out. So now they have to get, they have to find a way out. So they, they go, his wife is a race car driver. and She's really good. She took first place two years ago and second place up here in this county uh, racing dirt track on with her car. Anyway, the car has got no battery in it and it's out of gas and it's sitting on his property. And he has a track on his property. So these guys climb into his car. They take a battery from some other vehicle, put it in the car, and then they siphon gas from all the motorcycles and other vehicles, fill it up as best they can and take off in that car, leaving their car in the in a very remote part of the property full of, of Ryan's, all of his gear. They're going to go fence it, right? So Ryan discovers this because his dad comes to him and says, hey man, I was just down, his dad had wandered down to pick up some equipment in his quarry where he keeps containers, and he found a couple of chainsaws out in the snow, which is not like Ryan or any of his workers. So he told Ryan, Ryan goes, that's odd. He goes down there after his dad tells him and the chainsaws are gone, but all the doors are open and he realized his dad was down there while these guys were down there, but they hid or were away from it. And so he finds the car full of stuff and he he goes, oh my God, these guys are robbing me and they're coming back. So he calls the sheriff's department and the sheriff's department says, there's not much we can do. Really, we don't know if they're coming back when you're going to have to take care of it. So he prepared and he's got a wife and three kids, little kids. So he didn't, you know, he's, he's loaded up waiting, you know, he's got guns and he's like nervous about who are these guys? and What are they doing? And these guys drive up his driveway in a car, five of them. And he stops them by gunpoint and says, who are you and what are you doing up here? Like, well, we're looking for a job. Well, what ain't up here? Yeah, we're lost. How do we get out of here? And he holds them there for about five minutes, and then they just take off. They do a U-turn, of course. He's a very disciplined guy, so, of course, he's not going to shoot at them because not sure if they're the guys, and he doesn't want to start any trouble. So the minute they drive off, he calls down the hill to his father-in-law, who's got property on the way down, and other neighbors that he knows and has helped. And they cut the property off and at a certain point. These guys go get lost, and it causes enough time for the police to get there and capture these guys. And it turns out they're bad characters. They're from the cartel. They were getting hot in Oregon, as hot as you can get, I guess. And so they thought they'd come east. But I was thinking about how grounded Ryan was and and just how faithful his friends and the people on that property were to help him. And they weren't rude even to the cartel. They just stopped him and held him there. They wouldn't. There's no fighting, no yelling, just you're not going anywhere. The guys stay, and the police... Take them away, and you know it's like the whole hill is. And I was thinking about where I live. If somebody knew, I live in this little town of seven hundred, and there's fifteen kids on this block, all my grandkids' age. And if a new car comes down the street, we get a call from people up the street. There's somebody in the neighborhood. Be aware. We've never seen them before. And I and we know all our neighbors. And and I was just thinking how how that how beautiful that is, and how there's only a few places in my life where I've had that. When I was a kid, in the neighborhood I lived and grew up on, we knew everybody on the block. We knew what was going on, and we were connected. And even though if we even if we got in a fight, if somebody came on the block that was different, we, you know, your your enemy's enemy is your friend, and and so we would join arms. And I was thinking about how we often don't realize our connections to our neighbors, how vital they are in, in the everyday life. If we didn't. You know, if, if all the supply chains and different things broke down, who do you depend on? Do you know your neighbors? Would they Are they people you can trust? Do they know what's important to you? You know, the, those are things that just been passing through my mind since then and how, how vital it is to make a difference with the people that I live next to and to get to know and care for them. I know the guy across the street is a good young guy. And, and he's a hunter, and he's a, a logger, and um, he's just a hard-working guy. And I'll go over, I've gone over a couple times, just bring him. Like, I caught 50 pounds of salmon in October. And I brought a couple pounds of salmon to him, fillets for he, and his, his girlfriend, and and his his daughter, and, and he really appreciated it. And I notice when I go, uh, I'm told that he keeps an eye out on things. Like, he watches, if we're not home, he watches the neighborhood. And he watches over the house, which which is the kind of um, community I I would love to have. That's how I feel with you guys, right? You got my back. And I was thinking, well, whose back do I have here? And how can I continue to reach out that way? And how important that is, how meaningful it is, and what it means to my grandkids in the next generation. And they know all the kids. I know all the kids in the block. I know the ups and the downs. I know where the fort is. I know what the problems with the fort is. You know, you know, and and I... uh, they're always talking about Papa. You know, Papa will come over here and help us. You know, Eileen was out there playing with them the other day, you know, in the fort. And the fort changes with with the seasons. Snow has a little snow. You know, they're making in the igloo, you know, that kind of stuff. But but that's the kind of, you know, I, it's that kind of involvement. And I, I just I thought to myself, I'm really blessed because I'd, in California, when I lived there, I didn't make an effort like I did here. And the, my neighbors didn't make an effort. These people... Around me, made an effort to do that, and I have made an effort. This is vital.
1: That's great. Now I, you know, so I live in West Hollywood, which is you know the, the land of the crazies, really. And uh, you know, there's a neighbor of mine that has made says made such an effort, and I like knowing my neighbors. I mean, I grew up in small town Illinois, so so I know everybody on my block and. Which didn't take much work, and they'd lived there a long time, and so part of that was easy. But when you move into a new neighborhood, you have know, kind of got this crossroads: am I going to be anonymous or am I going to be friendly? You know, and you you kind of make that call. And there's this Italian dude next to me; Vito is his name, and he's so he's he's an interesting cat. He's a really interesting cat, Vito. And he's got a little dog that he walks around, and anyway, just the other day, he actually there was a like a target bag, like on my sidewalk. And it said, uh, from Vito, I looked inside and it was like a motorcycle chain. Like, and then, you know, I texted him. I said, Hey man, thanks for the motorcycle chain. Now I don't own a motorcycle, but I just thought that was cool. Vito was going to throw it away. And I don't know where Vito found a motorcycle chain, but he thought I've seen the kids on bicycles. So just in case Adrian needs this, I'm going to give it to him. Like, you know, that's nice.
0: Yeah. I think, I think a lot about this. I mean, this is something where we've lived in our house now for two, almost two years. And I don't know most of my neighbors. Um, you know, we had a little thing where, uh, a, a developer's putting a huge apartment building in our neighborhood and our neighborhood cannot handle that. It's like 400 units. They want to put 400 units so we went to city council to, to see what we could do to fight it. And um, through that, I got to know a few a few of my neighbors that were really concerned about what was what was happening in our neighborhood. But this is something I'm committed to, um, especially as the, as, the, as the spring comes and weather gets warmer. I, I want to get out and meet people and uh, invest in the people that are close and to And, you me. know, there's
2: a lady who lived a door away from Elizabeth. Elizabeth lives next to me. And there's a couple that live next to her. Great couple. They're also... Her husband was a logger, and she's she did would help at at the store that my daughter's sister-in-law opened in in this little town. It's like a mercantile. And I got to know her, and she babysitted my daughter's kids. And she moved out to the house next back to her and left this house open. And then Carla and Tim were looking for a place to stay up here. And we ended up introducing them to that house, and then they got that. So Carla and Tim live on the other side of Elizabeth. So it's Car- and then the kids now go to Carla and Tim's, and Carla does art lessons with them. And you know it's really interesting. But you know just knowing the neighbors when they were they go, do you know anybody who want to, to rent this? And Malcolm's dad owns the house, and and so they took the lease, and they got to know Malcolm. And now Tim is working for Malcolm's dad. He's a painting contractor, and he's painted it. Malcolm's build- dad's building this house. Tim painted the inside, and now he's going around to the rentals that that uh, Pat has and working on them. And it, that's all community. You know what I mean? I just I love that. I love that whole action.
0: This is fun, guys. This is interesting. Yeah, it yeah. was a blast. I appreciate both of you, um and and bringing meaningful stuff to this conversation. I'm excited to see where this all goes.
2: Me too, man. For thanks, Chad. You're always thinking, keeping us on our toes. I appreciate it.
0: Yeah, good to be here.
1: No, here we go. And and I mean it, just to circle back, like as people that are listening and have some specific questions, even if they're more personal, um, you know,
0: we'd love to share. But let let us know what's on your mind.
2: Yeah, please.
0: Yeah, we're hungry for this to be a connection point with the people who are who are listening and who have invested in it. So thank you, Paul. All right. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Bye-bye, everybody. Well, my friends, thank you so much for joining us for another episode of the Naked Leadership Podcast. As a heads up, every Friday, we post a Cliff Notes version of that week's conversation with all the highlights in under five minutes. Check that out for a quick and powerful reminder of the principles discussed. I hope this conversation has been valuable to you. If it has, the greatest compliment you could pay us is sharing it with somebody who could use it. Thanks so much for listening, and until next week, bye-bye, everybody i uh-huh.